Diamond K Talk YA now presents One Dark Throne, Part 1, from the Three Dark Crowns series by Kendar Blake. back to M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started the second book in the Three Dark Crowns series by Kendar Blake. This second book is called One Dark Throne and we read up to about halfway. It's called The Sea Watch Mountains. So it is true that it is a series but I was kind of hoping you would say quadrology as we like... <laughs> to mistakenly call our four book series but I almost said trilogy because I only have three books right now since the fourth one is not out yet so it's like very strange just having three books on my shelf when I know there's four it's confusing well and I think originally she only planned to or maybe only wrote the first two but then there was such a response or she had more enough of a story to tell or something that she added two more so I'm curious to see how much of a cliffhanger this one ends on agreed i'm wondering if the if like we'll get to the end and we'll be like oh yeah it could have ended here at this second book or if we'll have more questions Mm -hmm. speaking of series that could have ended or kept going Mm -hmm. this is very strange connection but guess who (laughs) well you know but i met pierce brown this week (laughs) i am so excited to hear all about it because you sent me so many pictures and i was so jealous because it looks like an amazing event He was just so cool. Like, as cool as I thought he was going to be, he was even cooler than that. I don't know. I feel like we would be best friends, except that I can't talk to him because I'm so starstruck. It's embarrassing. (laughs) I want to know what he did and what you said to him. So, first it was, like, a talk, but he basically said... He talked for like a minute, but he's kind of rambly. Like I, mm. he and he would like acknowledge it about himself. He'd be like, "I keep going off on these like random tangents or whatever," but I love it because that's how I do my life. <laughs> we can relate to that. Um, yeah, it's basically like listening to my research. Um, and then he opened it up for questions, basically the whole time for his talk. And he just like his banter with people in the audience too was hilarious. And he'd like call people out if they were getting close to a spoiler mm. or. Uh, what was one of the questions? I don't even remember what the question was about. Oh, they were asking about, um, and this is a spoiler if you haven't read the Red Rising trilogy, or I think it's the end of Red Rising when Mustang is pregnant, and oh, yeah. they talk. Basically, someone in the crowd was like, "Mustang's brilliant. It's like in the future. How did she not understand birth control?" <laughs> and, and he had this whole like answer about various things and then he was like but also really that's just what worked for the story and I'm retroactively fitting a yeah answer to like make sense of this and if you ask me in a month I'll probably give you a different answer but I just I loved how he called it out he was like half the time if it wasn't intentional people will like read into it and even the author will start to like think that it meant more than it did but I just I love that because it reminds me of English class when we'd like be reading stuff and people would be like the sky is blue and that symbolizes you know (laughs) peace and harmony and you're like or the sky is blue because the sky is blue a lot of the time and that's the only you know and that's how the author wanted it (laughs) yeah but uh, fans are terrible like that like they will pick apart everything kind of like we do on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) well it also reminds me of uh Taylor Swift, I feel like, is kind of the... And it's different to write, like, a three-minute song where you're very intentional about every single word versus, you know, several hundred pages of a book that all connects. Yeah, and having to form a plot. But it is funny to think about all the things that people, like, read into for Taylor Swift, too, right? Because she leaves certain clues. But I bet half the things fans come up with are just coincidence (laughs) or completely wrong. And, like, you know, some of them are right or whatever. And it's just... It is funny to think about that. What was another thing? Oh, he was talking about how, so in Red Rising, it's told from Darrow's perspective. And I think we talked about Mm -hmm. it a little bit, how 
we kept getting tricked because Dara was getting tricked and we didn't have all the information necessarily. Yeah. And I haven't started the new trilogy. So for those, the second one just came out, which is why he was doing a book tour, but he's doing a trilogy based in the same world. I think it's like 10 years later. So a lot of the same characters, but also some new characters. And it's kind of after the revolution, you know, what does this world look like and how do they rebuild and all of that stuff. But he switches perspectives a lot, it sounds like. Um, So I'm curious to see that. But he was talking about how he writes those parts and how he'll, like, he had to write from one perspective for a while and then, like, go back and write from a different perspective and then, like, fit things in. And just, like, him talking about it was so funny, though, too, because it sounds like he was trying to figure out how long things would take to get from different planets. And, like, he had these diagrams about how the planets were spinning to try and figure out what season it was over here. And uh, and just talking about, and I... It is so important, but you don't think about it a lot, is how the pacing had to work for different characters. So, like, if someone went on a expedition that would take 10 months, you have to have enough happening with other characters while they're on that expedition. And, you know, to, like, how, yeah. how you get the pacing all right. And it was just so interesting to hear him talk about that. And now I've been thinking about that a lot in this book series, even, because... Um, in the three dark crowns, we've got kind of the three queens who are all in their own part of the island, but the timing has to work out, right? So it's it's interesting to be like, okay, yeah, so um, Mirabella is visiting Arsinoe, so Arsinoe has to be in her plot ready to greet Mira, and you know if they're all meeting up for midsummer, like just like how you have to tie everything together. And it was sort of interesting to think about that. But I don't even know how he like rambled and told funny stories and talked about <laughs> several listening to classic rap on a road trip. And um, did he talk about his dog at all? He talked about so he, I guess he like signed a bunch of Christmas cards or something for fans, and his dog ate a bunch that he had already signed. That was oh, like no. the only reference to the dog that I remember. I love his dog. She's so cute. She is. But it was also funny when he was talking about signing the cards. He couldn't remember how many there were, but he remembered it took him the the first two Lord of the Rings extended versions all the way Whoa. through and a season of some TV show. It was just funny how he like was measuring time based yeah. on like what he watched while he signed them. And I don't even know yeah. how to explain it except he's like a huge nerd because he's so into all this like classic history and we see all those influences um in it later like he was talking about the the Peloponnesian war or some I don't even remember which war and how olive trees are really hard to burn so when like one of the invading armies was trying to like raise the territory to decimate the population or whatever they like couldn't destroy these olive trees and just like he just has so much interesting history tidbits and I'm really excited to read the new series and see how it all plays in and talking about the naming convention for the different uh colors in in the world that he built and how like the lower classes didn't have last names because historically lower classes were named based on the town they were from or the profession that they had like blacksmith or something like that instead Mm -hmm. of like a family name like we think of today and I don't know it was just he just he was funny he was quick he was engaging he's smart I just really thought he was super personable and super great and waited in line for a while to get him to sign my book or so he's written five books I got him to sign seven books because (gasps) wow we have two copies of the first trilogy and I just bought the new one but so James is with me and I get super (laughs) starstruck meeting authors and especially when I'm waiting in line and I'm trying to think about what to say and all this stuff, and especially if it's someone that we've talked about on the podcast, where I'm like, do I mention the podcast, or does that sound weird, or is that cool, or, you know, like, I just, like, overthink it all, and so we get up there, and I'm, like, telling, or I said something like, oh, we have two copies of the book, because this is the only series that James has read with me, or my husband's read with me, or whatever, and then somehow, James mentions Star Wars, and the entire rest of the conversation, Pierce Brown and James are talking about Star Wars stuff that I know nothing about, (laughs) and it was... Part of me, like, loved it because they were, like, nerding out about this. And part of me was so jealous. But also, I didn't say anything embarrassing. So that's good. It good. kept me from... Did you tell them about our podcast? I, I gave them a bookmark. So there's actually Yay. a picture. You can see where the bookmark's there. And I did. I told them a little bit about the podcast. So... What did he say about it? Um, <laughs> well, I think I... So I think that's how I introduced James. I think I said it's the... So I have a young adult fiction podcast that I do. And this is the only series that my husband's actually read. And we both love it. And that's like how I introduced it or something. But um, oh, then they started talking about Star Wars and that was it. So, but it's funny because all the <laughs> pictures, they had someone like taking pictures of us and all the pictures, it's like 
James and Pierce just like really engaged in this conversation and me like sitting there like what's going on <laughs> but oh, it was like awesome yeah <laughs> but if you have a chance you should totally go and meet him because I was just super impressed and I can't wait to read the books read but Dark I Age, yeah. I have a feeling either a bunch of people die or someone really important die or I feel like he w- was framing things in a way where a lot of fans might be disappointed with some of the choices he makes in the second book. So I'm kind of curious to see how that all plays out. But okay. it's also, it's massive. It's a huge book. Oh, I didn't have, it? that's okay. why I didn't have to go to the gym this week because I carried that in line for <laughs> 20 minutes. Um, I've only read Iron Gold so far in the new trilogy. So I need to carve out some time to fit Dark Age in. But um, guess what I started reading this week? Since we're talking about other books besides this I one. saw on Goodreads, Anna, what's it called? Anna Dressed in Blood. Yeah. How is it? It's, it was, I finished it today. It was wonderful. I loved it. It was, um, well, I love ghost stories and I love horror things. Obviously, you know that. Um, so <laughs> I like just loved how dark and creepy it was. It was like a great ghost story. Would I like it or would it be too creepy for me? I'm, I'm not as into that as you are. I think it might be too creepy for you. Okay. Just on, uh, just like, in all honesty, like, it was, it was pretty creepy. And there's a sequel, um, Girl of Nightmares, that I have on hold at the library, and I really hope it comes soon, because I can't wait to read the second one. I think it's so cool. I, that was also kind of YA-ish, but a very different type of book, right? Oh, completely. And it's, it's like, it's like about a boy who's a ghost hunter, and his job is to, like, kill different ghosts that are causing harm and he meets this one girl who he starts to kind of like have a relationship with instead and she's a ghost but um I just I found it like really entertaining and scary and just very different like you don't get many ghost stories these days so I always appreciate it when when I stumble across them and it's so different from this book I think that's really exciting So now that we've spent a good chunk of time talking about not this book, should we (laughs) jump over to One Dark Throne? Yes. Okay. So some stuff has happened since we finished the first book. The main thing is you were very correct about Catherine coming back from that little deep dive she did into that abyss. Um, And she is much changed now. I feel like I was right on accident like I think what I said ended up being right but this is not really what I what you intended oh okay (laughs) but like she is stronger like she can ingest more poison now without dying and she's like super dark and vengeful now like yeah I have so many questions though because I'm curious if she's like a more determined because she's ingesting more poison but she's still not resistant to poison but she just seems to, like, be taking it on herself, right? Yeah, unclear. I mean, she's definitely, like, ingesting a lot more. Yeah, but she's still, like, swollen and she's still having a... F- I-, I thought her servants were talking about how she was, like, sick all oh, night. And they're worried uh, about, like, her going too far. And someone was talking about when they shook her hand, they could tell it was swollen from some poison. And, yeah, so I think... I don't think her ability has increased, which I think is what I thought would happen. And it also, she's, like, talking to some of the, like, religious relics or whatever in a weird way. Like, I'm really curious what happened to her when she was down there. Did she interact with the goddess somehow yeah. or with the prior queens? Or is she just, like, going mad or, like, what? I'm not what, sure. What happened, girl? Yeah. But you're right. She is She is stronger and she is angry and she is dark and changed so yeah she comes back different arsenault is exploring her poisoner side which is still a secret from the other queens and arsenault and mirabella have kind of gone back and forth on if they love or hate each other (laughs) yeah and arsenault is like now really having to kind of own this title of like the bear queen now because everyone bought into her ruse where they think she conjured this very strong familiar um Mm -hmm. and then i thought it was like a little bit strange that she actually does conjure another bear and this one like works out i think it's the same bear oh i thought it was different because wasn't the first bear like decaying and like gross and this one seems like normal so the first bear was decaying and gross and they killed it the second bear was the one they used at the quickening ceremony that attacked everybody and i think this is the same second bear but she can just somehow control it better now 
So yeah, I think that original low magic that they did made a connection between them, but it's not Mm. a familiar connection. And I think in part what went wrong the first time was they didn't actually know each other and it was, you know, a ton of people in a small environment and the fire and whatnot. So I think she has been like, I think she's treating it more like a pet than a familiar maybe, but I think it's the same bear that she called back. Okay, I guess that makes sense then. But not the dead one, or not the decaying one. That one was really creepy. Right, but like with all this low magic stuff, I mean, we learned from the beginning that there's always a price to pay for using low magic, so I'm still like very Mm -hmm. worried about Arsenault and like her ability to control this bear. And she keeps doing more and more low magic. I sort of feel like at some point she should be like, okay, I got what I needed, I've sacrificed enough, like let me work with what I have or something. Well, and we learn, the other huge thing that we learn regarding low magic is that... Jules has um, what is called a legion gift or a legion curse really so she um, when she was born a seer told her mother that her naturalist gift would be touched with war and that Jules would go mad with it and she says if she doesn't kill Jules when she's a baby she will bring about the fall of the island Um, but instead Mm -hmm. her mother binds her curse with low magic so now like Jules is somehow tied to her mother's blood and they're worried that the binding is coming loose or that maybe magical magical that's her name yeah just like released the binding mm-hmm. um and you can see like Jules is not I wouldn't say she's going mad yet but she's definitely um losing control a little like, bit losing control mm-hmm. yeah and her gift is like starting to change where she can like move things now and well yeah almost control people. So that was my question. So is the curse just the fact that she has two gifts, basically? Like, usually you only have one, and if you have two, they, like, compete somehow and make you go mad? Or what? Why when people... Because other people have the war gift. It's just really, really weak. Right. So is it the fact that she has a second one that's the issue? I'm kind of confused by that. Possibly. That... I mean, that would make sense, I guess. Yeah, because we don't know anyone else who has two. Yeah. And it sounds like usually if you have a second one not only do you go mad but one or both of them are really weak whereas she is one mm-hmm. of the strongest naturalists ever and it right. seems like to your point her war gift is really strong because she's able to move things which apparently has kind of like died out of the war gift people over the generations or whatever yes so i'm very concerned with her okay but here so here's here's my other question about her though so in like the last bit of this half of the book Catherine ends up shooting Arsenault. So they they all go to, I can't remember the name of the town where Arsenault lives. Wolfspring. Wolfspring for the Midsummer Festival, which is kind of like an opportunity to bring them together so they can try and kill each other. Catherine challenges the other queens to a hunt. Um, They all go into the forest with their various strategies, and Catherine ends up shooting Arsenault with a poisoned arrow. Mm -hmm. Jules comes, uses her war gift, which is how it gets out in the public or whatever and takes Arsenault away so we know that Arsenault is resistant to the poison but nobody else does and and I think Mirabella saw it happen right so I think Mirabella is gonna find out that Arsenault is a poisoner well Catherine and Mirabella both have to find out I would think if she comes whenever she reveals herself but oh wait didn't she so here's my here's my question though so it feels like Mirabella and Arsenault both are starting to remember their childhood, which is where this kind of sisterly love feeling is coming from. As far as we know, Catherine doesn't have any memories of this stuff, nor have either one of them really given her an opportunity or a reminder about it. So I'm kind of upset that Arsenault and Mirabella are both like remembering things and remembering when Catherine was sweet, but they seem so angry at how wicked she's become. But I feel like they haven't given her a chance. Like, I don't know. And maybe it'll change it a bit, but it seems like after she shot Arsenault, which to be fair was a pretty evil thing to do, but also what they were all planning to do until like a week ago was kill each other. (laughs) Um, She, like Mirabella was talking about how evil Catherine was and Arsenault was also really angry about it. And part of me is like, it's not like, like she's just done what they all grew up thinking and planning. And if they gave her a chance or reminded her about their childhood or something, maybe she would also come around I don't know I hope that's what happens I wonder how much of it is just that they don't trust poisoners just because they've been yeah that's you fair. know ruling for so long um there's like some prejudice against them I feel so 
Well, then that's where I thought Billy would maybe help. So Billy now has admitted or realized or whatever that he does actually care for Arsenault. He's been posing as Mirabella's taste tester to check for poisons, so they've developed a friendship. But I thought when he visited Catherine, although that he didn't spend very long there, I thought they, like, got along. So I, I also was kind of hoping that he'd, I don't know. Like, act as a bridge, bridge between yeah. them. Yeah, he's in a tricky position, too, though, because he's supposed to be courting Catherine because he has yeah. that alliance with, um, Catherine's mom, but he loves Arsenault, so he's like, I think it has to be he, it, it has to be hard for him because he like fell in love with someone he's not supposed to fall in love with. He's going against his father's wishes. Now he's friends mm-hmm. with Mirabella, who he wants to hate but can't because um, mm-hmm. she's like growing on him, and they're becoming friends. So I I don't know what he's gonna do. I think that though that he is so fiercely protective of Arsenault, though, that if he got wind of that Catherine was trying to hurt her, I think his instinct would be to kill her rather than try and reason with her. No, and I think that's fair at this point. And I also think Catherine has gone even more off the evil deep end. But I'm just kind of upset for her because I feel like she didn't have a choice. Like, I feel like Mirabella and Arsenault both had support and friends around and also had each other and some of the mutual people between them kind of defending each other. Because even Arsenault, like, Joseph was kind of standing up for Mirabella, and for Mirabella, Billy was kind of standing up for Arsenault. And I just... And Peter threw her in an abyss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but... Yeah, and, like, the other thing, though, is that I feel like the few times that Mirabella and Arsenault have come face-to-face, like, they have not trusted each other but they have confronted each other multiple times now and neither of them have made a move against each other so like even in this book um Mirabella is like convinced that Arsenault sent that bear after her so she rides off to go find her and and to kill her and then Mm -hmm. Arsenault's like no I'm gonna meet her off so she doesn't attack my village and they have this moment where like Mirabella conjures a storm and they both have a chance to kill each other but they don't and, yeah. you know, Arsenault leads the bear away. Mirabella calms down the storm. But when they confront Catherine, like, Catherine shoots them. You know, like, she doesn't hesitate at all. Yeah. But again, I think part of why they both trust each other is they've had a couple of interactions. Like, Mirabella defended Arsenault in front of the priestesses. And the, yeah, that's like, true. They, it's, they've been kind of off on when they've trusted each other and when they've attacked each other. But they've each kind of had an opportunity to doubt each other, to doubt that someone's trying to kill them. And then they both, between Joseph and Billy, have had someone else they trust kind of telling them, you know, this is a this person isn't all bad. Yeah, and they both have good, Arsenault and Mirabella, I would say both have good advisors, whereas yeah. Catherine really doesn't. And she now has mm-hmm. this new suitor, Nicholas, who is creeping me out. <laughs> Yeah, he is no, he's bad news. He's so gross. He's, like, so turned on by the idea of her killing her sisters. Like, any, Mm -hmm. any, like, hint or threat of violence is, like, super exciting for him. And so I'm, I'm very concerned about what he's going to end up doing in the future because he seems terrible. Well, and that goes back to your other point where Arsenault and Catherine both have people they love, trust, support them you know, etc. And Catherine, the closest she really had was Peter, who ended up throwing her to her death. Suppose you know, I mean, like, she didn't die, but yeah, tried to kill her like that, like the biggest betrayal of all. And that was like her only ally at all. And it's just like she hasn't even had a chance to grow and learn to trust or build friendship or any of that but she's also like really not making it easy to love her like she keeps sending these poison gifts to mirabella now and like that mm-hmm. poor priestess like had to have her hand cut off because she put on the poison glove. I know. yeah and then she sent her that she sent that dress that like wasn't even meant for mirabella it was meant for her household yeah. staff and it like kills this poor girl and so now she's like not even going after Mirabella, she's, like, trying to harm her household to, like, get into her head. 
True, but also remember Arsenault accidentally poisoned her two suitors and couldn't reveal her secret. So True. she's also getting blamed for things that aren't her fault. And how does that make her feel? You know, and so I'm not, I don't think Catherine's a good person by any means. And I don't know if she'll ever be redeemable, but I sort of feel like for her sisters to forgive each other so quickly, I feel like they're not giving her a chance at all. And I'm curious because we've gotten a few more of these like flashbacks to like, oh, I remember us floating in the river Mm -hmm. I remember you know whatever and I'm curious if if they did really have a connection and love Catherine before and she loved them if we'll ever be able to uncover that or if maybe Catherine was always kind of a little devil child and really the relationship was with Arsenault and Mirabella and whatever so I'm curious to see how it plays out for sure me too totally and oh okay um what do you think about Magical's bit of news oh my goodness I'm I don't know. I'm kind of like, Madrigal, get out of the story. This isn't about you. (laughs) But also, like, obviously, she's connected to a lot of this stuff. So um, I really want to know what her vision was. Oh, about the baby? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she's pregnant with Matthew's baby, who was also conceived during the bell train. Mm -hmm. Matthew is her sister's husband. And we've seen evidence that she has some kind of low magic charm-ish thing that's potentially yeah binding him to her yeah which totally makes sense because everyone was super shocked when he all of a sudden was like going out with magical ever since like since he was so devoted to her sister i'm really curious about her like what her end goal is because in some ways she seems kind of flighty and selfish but she seems to want this baby which i feel like even just growing and giving birth to a child is not a very selfish thing um and I think she doesn't get enough credit, but I think that's because we don't know enough about what she's really doing. And so I'm curious to see if she ends up actually, like, being more helpful than we're currently led to believe. Yeah, I mean, especially since she didn't kill Jules, you know, when she was little. She was, she was like, I'm going to use this low magic to bind her curse. And that's probably why she relies on low magic so much. Like, this is what saved her daughter when she was born. But she also says it in a certain way where... Again, back to the selfish idea where it's, like, Jules's life, but she is trying to, like, be part of the story. Like, I gave birth to this super powerful daughter, or I... Like, it's kind of... I'm kind of curious to figure out... I I don't trust her completely, and I'm not sure... She's definitely not a great mom by any means, but I can't tell if she's still a good mom in her own twisted way, or if she's just kind of super selfish and immature. I mean, she definitely wanted the baby to be conceived during that during Beltrain or whatever mm-hmm. because she knew it, she, the baby would have you know b- be born with great power mm-hmm. so I'm just curious like was she just using Matthew because she wanted another baby born with his power and if so like why like what is she what are her plans for this child and I hope we get more of her relationship with her sister and like if, yeah me too I wish I hope she comes back yeah like if if Kara forgives her understands her I'm even I don't even know who's older do you know who's older oh I don't know like I'm curious what they were like growing up or if I don't know I just I feel like there's a lot more to her story and part of me is very curious about it and the other part of me is like you're too interesting to like be a side character here but I care so much about what's going on in the main story that I like you're distracting me from it which sounds like a weird way to Mm -hmm. say it but I'm kind of like in this limbo between wanting to know more and being like just go get in your own book (laughs) yeah (laughs) stop making this all about Mm -hmm. you she does seem like that type of person. But I feel like the fact that she's making me feel that way as a reader is, like, very true to her character and, like, says something about how well she's written because I think that's kind of how yeah. her she's perceived by her family even. So, yeah. I'm just waiting for all this low magic stuff to I know. blow up in her face. Because even, like, at the end, she tries to make this curse to, like, kill the sisters for Arsenault. Mm-hmm. And Arsenault just, like, ruins it because she's thinking about, like, oh, actually, I love my sisters. And, like, the fire, like, explodes and she has this, she's burned very badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what gives her the vision of her baby. Yeah. So it's, like, I'm just curious how far she'll go before she stops using this low magic. Well, and that's where I also wonder how long has she been using it and what else has she done with it? And maybe that's why she's kept away from Jules. Maybe it's somehow she's been protecting yeah. her or I don't know. Yeah. But... Okay, back to that point. Even Arsenault, she keeps using the low magic. And part of me is like, okay, I sort of got it when that was your only option. But now you found out that you have an actual gift. Yeah, use that. And 
your bear, while it's not a familiar relationship, is a bear and you're, I don't know, like I feel like stop relying on the low magic and just kind of use what you have around you. Your poison gift and your bear that's kind of connected to you. Also, like the village is turning against her kind of. Like, or, or they're not like turning against her, but they're... They're turning against Joseph. They're like demanding more of her. They're, yeah, they're, they're yeah. turning against Joseph and Jules. And also they're just like, you're the bear queen. We want to see the bear. Like, what are you going to do with it? Like, they're just demanding a lot more of her now. And I'm nervous that she won't be able to live up to them. Her village frustrates me the most. So while she has yeah. some of the best friends of all of the queens, her village just seems so wishy-washy, flighty. Like, I feel like they don't deserve her. <laughs> Agreed. I I don't know. Yeah, they were, like, throwing rocks at her at the beginning of the book. I know. (laughs) And now, like you said, they're kind of demand. Like, I feel like they're just like, oh, if you can help us, great. And if you can't help us, help us as much as you can. Like, they're just out for what she can do for them or something. I don't know. It's very... But then she has this more tight-knit group that's actually really strong. So, we'll see. She's grown on me a lot. I think, uh, I don't know, last time or the first podcast, I think I said she was my least favorite. That She's grown Mm. on me a lot. I like her a lot more now. I really like her, too. I Actually, I think she's still my favorite. Yeah. And so far, all of them are still alive, so... I know. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. But maybe, yeah. If they haven't killed each other yet, I'm like, well, they've had some really good opportunities, so I am curious to see what happens. I think if anyone's going to die, it will be Catherine. But she's such a good villain. I feel like it would... I feel like, I given things right now, it would have to be either Arsenault or... I think it would have to be Arsenault, actually. Mm. because she is we have so many other side characters around her that would be affected like Jules would freak out and want revenge I don't know I just feel, I feel like there'd be a lot of like yeah. alliances that would be thrown off and I think it I think Catherine would have to stay because she's kind of the bad guy right now but who knows that's true but also I wonder how long we'll think Arsenault is dead remember how I also said maybe we'll just think that two of them have died yeah. or disappeared so and maybe that will be her kind of way out of this yeah but also, like, I'm very nervous for Jules because mm-hmm. she's going to have to go to the Capitol now and get questioned because now, like, her war gift is out in the open and I'm worried that they are going to kill her. Okay, here's my other question, though. I guess if you have two really strong gifts, especially a war gift, you would be a threat to people. But I sort of feel like going mad is not necessarily a threat that you should be killed for. Like, maybe you should be sent somewhere far away or maybe you should have to be evaluated periodically or... I don't, like, I could see them doing something, but it feels weird that, like, maybe when she was a baby, the initial answer would be, let's just drown her, it's quick and easy. But how can you, like, sentence someone to death for that now? I guess if you think that the prophecy is true and she will bring about the fall of the island. That's true. Like, But people don't know, that's not public yet. Just the fact that she has the war gift true. is public right now. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm very nervous for her, I have to say. And, you know, it's always interesting with prophecies because we've talked about this a little bit before, but it's like maybe she'll only bring about the end of the world because of how people react to the fact that she's supposed to bring about the end of the world. And if no one had ever said that, mm-hmm. it would, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's always interesting to see how they play out or whatever. True. Um, did you do any research this week? Okay. So. <laughs> I. Always a good beginning. <laughs> I have a few things pulled up on my computer right now. I, sometimes I just want to like tell you what the title of an article is and see if you can figure out how I got from the book to where I am. <laughs> Ooh, let's do that. Let me let's play that game. The funniest joke told by 23 U.S. presidents. How did, how did I get there? What? <laughs> the funniest joke. Um, I can't remember anyone telling a joke in this book. Exactly. This is because I don't go line- linearly at all. So I started with... <laughs> Hosting foreign dignitaries. Okay. And like the protocols around that because all the queens are going to Wolf Spring for this festival and they were talking about like where they stay and how nice right. the accommodations were. And I was thinking about, I think we've talked about like some of the rules when you meet the Queen of England before and things like yeah. that. Somehow I, actually I'm not really sure from there how I ended up here, but I, st- so then I was looking at White House gift guides and some of the weird things that people have given presidents throughout the years. Oh, yeah. Lots of animals, right? Yeah, a lot of animals. And, like, some just, like, interesting art and interesting stuff that, like, if you read about it, it's like, oh, this is a symbol of, you know, friendship and blah, blah, blah. But it's, but you, like, look at it and you're like, what? (laughs) Like, that's just a red square. 
From there, I somehow ended up on just, like, weird stories about the U.S. presidents because I was looking at, like, weird gifts they've gotten. Okay. And then from there, I think, is how I ended up on... The funniest jokes told by U.S. presidents? Yes. Well, I have to hear some of these. <laughs> well, and then I think I, like, somehow ended up there and I was like, oh, it's kind of like dad jokes, but it's president jokes or something. So, and they're all, they're not actually jokes. These are just, like, uh, like witty things they said like in certain circumstances that, in yeah. So... President Madison, who was the fourth president, was on his deathbed, and he said, I always talk better lying down. <laughs> like, these are the stories that I spent, like, a long time reading. Doesn't even make uh, sense. Let's see. What are some funny ones? Okay. Uh, some of them are actually kind of funny. So, the 14th president was Pierce. I don't remember his first name. He, he ran as a Democrat, and the, the last Democratic president, I think, was President James K. Polk who was the 11th mm-hmm. president. So his campaign slogan was, we poked you in 44, we shall pierce you in 52. <laughs> oh my God, that's so weird and sexual. <laughs> oh my God. Right? That's like, so not was... okay. <laughs> Could you imagine if someone did that today? <laughs> I just love that back then, even this was like, like enough people were like, haha, like that's funny, I'm going to vote for this i don't know oh my god that is so hysterical so this one isn't even a good story but (laughs) the 18th american president grant once said i only know two tunes one of them is yankee doodle the other isn't oh my god (laughs) and i think it had something to do with the fact he was the uh union general during the civil war and Mm -hmm. something about his commitment to the army or whatever but um, (laughs) Uh, President Arthur at a Republican banquet was dishing about how his ticket won the vote in Indiana and said, if it were not for the reporters, I would tell you the truth. That's a great one. (laughs) That's good, yeah. Um, I like these. Yeah. I also was like expecting to read actual jokes and these Mm -hmm. aren't, these are not jokes at all. No, they're just like funny things presidents have said. (laughs) This one's kind of funny. This is President Wilson and he was speaking to the World Salesmanship Congress in 1916, and he was talking about his relationship with Republicans. And it sounds like a compliment, but listen closely. I have long enjoyed the friendship and companionship of Republicans because I am by instinct a teacher, and I would like to teach them something. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Burn. And then, this one's good. So President Coolidge was considered... I guess, like, people described him as, like, sharp and cold and mm. kind of, like, thrifty with his words. So kind of, you know, straight and short to the point. And uh, this woman was sitting next to him at a dinner party and had, like, heard some of these rumors. And she said, I bet I can get more than two words out of you. And he just responded, <laughs> you lose. Those are the only two words he said for the whole dinner. <laughs> oh, my God. That is stubbornness at its very best right, right there. Yeah. So Eleanor Roosevelt went to the White House to visit... Uh, penitentiary. Why can't I say that word? Went to jail. Um, (laughs) And I guess at the same time, FDR was being interviewed by a reporter and someone said she'd gone to prison. And Roosevelt just replied, I'm not surprised. What for? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, there's like a ton of stories here, but these were just, I don't even know how I got here except that I started looking at how we host foreign dignitaries and somehow (laughs) ended up here. I also, I read a lot of weird stuff like um, Coolidge would eat his breakfast while a servant massaged Vaseline into his scalp. That was like a thing he did. Ew! I don't know why he did it, but... I guess when you're president you can do things like that. That's not, I wouldn't do that. That's gross. And George Washington basically like had his own Yelp. He When he would travel the country, he would write reviews of the inns and public houses that he stayed in. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, he, one of them, was he said, was not a good house, situated on an intolerably bad road, and another was deemed not very inviting. And supposedly the nicest thing he ever said was a tavern in which he said, a better house than the appearances indicate. <laughs> that was like the nicest thing he ever said. Wow, so he was just he's a harsh reviewer. About these, yeah, it's just funny to me to think about some of this stuff. And then, 
So, again, I just was, like, reading a ton of stuff about weird stuff about the presidents, basically. This is a strange connection. So, I think I've told you before, I'm, like, really into, like, goal setting and, like, reflecting on stuff. And I'm, Mm -hmm. I've been married for a little while now. And I was thinking about how I've almost been married for 100 days. And I was doing all this presidential stuff. And, you know, how they have their big thing about, like, the the first first 100 days days of their presidency. So, I was looking at a bunch of stats about, like, what they did in their first 100 days. And I guess, like, it wasn't even really a thing until FDR was elected and put in a bunch of his New Deal. Mm-hmm. Le- he he did like 15 New Deal legislation things in the first 100 days, and then it became like the standard that people used. But uh, so FDR passed the most laws during his first 100 days. He passed 76 laws, whereas George W. Bush passed the fewest laws. He only passed seven. And... Let's see. Foreign countries visited. The most was Barack Obama. He visited nine countries in his first 100 days. But the following all visited zero. Dwight D. Eisenhower, JFK, Lyndon B. Johnson, Jimmy Carter, and Donald Trump. So they all visited zero countries Hmm. in their first 100 days. Well, some of them were president during wars, so I wonder if that had anything to do with it. And some of them, and just because they didn't go in the first 100 days doesn't mean they never went, obviously. But yeah, there might have been other things going on. (laughs) Uh, JFK had the highest rating after his first 100 days, and Donald Trump had the lowest rating after his first 100 days. Not surprising. I know, shocking, right? But yeah, so I didn't really do, this had really nothing to do with anything i read a lot about people getting like komodo dragons and a bunch of raw lamb and (laughs) rugs with their faces on it and all kinds of stuff that the presidents have gotten as gifts and that was mostly where my research ended up and i found a quiz on epic reads about what your three dark crowns gift would be i took it yeah what did you get i got naturalist what did it tell you about it? Or did it, what did it say? It says, to be a naturalist is to wield control over nature. You can make plants grow, wrong, and hold influence over animals, also wrong. Nationalists, no, naturalists are traditionally hardworking with a great respect for nature and an affinity for the outdoors. You're in touch with some of the most powerful forces on the island. Um, so I am really terrible at growing things. I have a plant that against all odds is thriving and I'm terrified that any day I'm going to wake up and it's going to be dead because it's the longest I've ever kept a plant alive for. I've I've killed cactuses before. To be fair, you might have given it too much love and care if it was a cactus, but I have a better story. Or not better, but I also cannot keep plants alive except cacti. I have perfected the art after some Arizona living, but my mom spends the winters in Arizona and then goes back to Atlanta. So when she left the spring, she gave me a couple of plants to because she was going to be gone. And mm-hmm. I asked her how often to water them, and I was doing really, really well, but they were looking really, really good. And every other plant in my house was half dead. So eventually, I texted her a picture of them, and I said, Mom, are you sure these are real? Because I haven't killed them yet. And she was like, I don't actually remember. And so I had been watering an artificial plant for like two months. And my mom also told me to water this artificial plant. So that is amazing. Right. (laughs) That is so funny. But I wasn't sure for a while. So I was like kind of still watering it. And I did. My sister gave me a lily when we moved into the house. And we don't have very good sunlight, but James and I have both started watering it now, and it has come back from the dead and is looking really good right now. I don't know how how we pulled that off. So those are my... I have some cacti. I have a couple artificial plants that I water regularly, and (laughs) this lily. (laughs) I just have my one spider plant. Well, I don't even know what plant it is, but it's like the kind that keeps growing, and the tendrils are getting so long it's almost starting to creep me out because I'm like, one day I'm going to wake up and they'll be like coming into my bedroom door and they'll like strangle us in our sleep or something. Like it's starting to look really, really creepy. But I also like want it to keep growing because I'm like proud of myself that it's actually doing well. Um, And then the other plan I have that's a recent addition is I got kind of drunk and I accidentally bought a tree. (laughs) Wait, what? Where is the tree? (laughs) So the tree is now in my bedroom. (laughs) Um, I mean, like, so were you drunk at a, like, arbor? Like, where? No, I was, like, I was reading about how plants can, like, clear your air quality in your house and about how Chicago has really bad air quality. And Mm. so I, like, saw this tree for sale for, like, 35 bucks and I 
and I bought it, and now it's in my bedroom. That is amazing. I know, but it says that they can grow up to six feet tall, so oh, no. I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> I'll probably kill it. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Ugh. I guess you're hardworking or whatever else they said about naturalists, even if you can't keep plants alive. What is your gift? I got the elemental gift, so Ooh. I had the power to control water, fire, wind, etc., and this makes me wild at heart and very daring with a love for the power of nature. But don't let your impressive powers lead you to underestimate the other gifts on the island. I feel like this is accurate about you. I also feel like I was kind of uh, connecting more and more with Mira, and you've been connecting more and more with Arsenal. And I wonder if it's because of their powers that we Ooh. are feeling that way. That's a good guess. I like that. What did you research? Um, so my research is, is kind of out of place, too. Um, which is stupid because I can never think of anything to research. And then when I'm looking back at my notes, like right before we record, I always think of something better, (laughs) but whatever. So I was inspired by the idea of these suitors. So we now have a couple more suitors who came to the islands. Half of them are dead. (laughs) Tommy and Michael did not meet happy ends. But we still have Nicholas left. We have Billy. And is there any other suitor? I think that's it. But I feel like there was supposed to be one more, but I don't know where they went, so maybe not. Okay, so we still have two left um, who are competing to be King Consort, or Prince Consort, whatever. Um, And so I liked the idea of them coming to meet these princesses and courting them, so I researched interesting courtship rituals from around the world. Nice. So the first one made me laugh so hard. (laughs) I'm already excited. Okay, in 19th century rural Austria... It was a tradition for eligible ladies to keep an apple slice under their armpit during dances. So, like... So, they would, like, take an apple slice, stick it under their armpit, and dance the whole night with this slice of apple under their armpit, and then get this, at the end of the evening, the girl would present the apple to the guy that she likes, and if the feeling was mutual, he would eat the apple. Oh, my goodness. That is... Isn't that disgusting? First of all, how do you dance with an apple under your armpit? No idea. Unless you're doing like river dancing, maybe. And second of all, <laughs> that is absolutely disgusting. I'll stay in this century. Can you imagine? No. I mean, I'm going to ask James how much he loves me and if he would do this for me. I'm going to see if I bring an apple slice to the next wedding. I would. There's no way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. I would, I would not I wouldn't do that. want him to do that. I wouldn't want to. And think about like 19th century, like wouldn't bathe that much Ugh. i'm just thinking about i'm just not coordinated enough for that either like my apple would drop a lot into the dirty street i would rather eat an apple off the street than from underneath an armpit <laughs> so yeah that's fair the next one is a little bit better so um the puritans they were not a whole lot of fun <laughs> and so they did not present wedding rings to each other because they saw them as frivolous so instead, a, a man would present his bride-to-be with a thimble, which was so practical. Yeah. And she could use the thimble while sewing items. And then I guess it was also tradition that when that after they wed, she could cut the bottom off of the thimble. Not sure how that works. Um, and then she'd wear it as a, a wedding ring. Hmm. That sounds like a terrible gift. Yeah, I'd rather have just a regular wedding ring. <laughs> I don't want something that I'm supposed to use to like make things for you. It's like getting That's someone a, bl- like. a blender or a vacuum for your anniversary. Isn't that just right, like, or like generally a considered a no-no? Yeah. <laughs> I would think so. Um, okay, this is interesting. So in Finland, girls who reached a marriageable age would wear an empty sheath on their belt. And if... They caught the attention of a guy. He would make or buy a knife to put in her sheath. (laughs) She would return the knife if she wasn't interested, but if she kept the blade and put it in her sheath, it meant that she agreed to marry him. So the Finnish people were not very subtle. (laughs) (laughs) That is actually kind of hilarious. I know. That's like some very intense symbolism right there. Um, In Wales, uh, Welsh couples would exchange love spoons, which I thought this was really cute. So they were like intricately hand-carved wooden spoons, um, and men would spend like hours crafting their spoons so they could give their lady a a beautiful beautiful spoon. Um, And if she accepted it, she accepted his hand in marriage, or at least like a courtship. I think that's cute. Nice. I take a I take a spoon over someone's armpit apple any day. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> so 
question about the king consorts, by the way. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was mentioned or implied that there's some hunt. Like, is there a contest later for the kings as well? Or does... At first, I thought the queen just picked one, but it sort of sounds like there might be either an opportunity or an intention to have one survivor of the king. Some kind of contest. That's a good question, because there were three, now there's... Or there were four, now there's two. I have no idea how that works. Like... Because do you remember something when they were talking about uh, the hunt and, like, especially that the guy who's so into violence... Catherine was kind of like, he's going to have a great time with Billy there or something. I don't even remember how she phrased it or what. But it sort of implied that there was some... I didn't know if it was just like an opportunity where it's like, look the other way if someone dies. Or if it was like a the king consort's potential people go out and try to kill each other. And at the end of the day, there's one... I don't think they have to kill each other. I think they just have to like impress the queen. And I think she just picks who she wants, maybe. Okay. But maybe he can be violent? I don't know. I wish I wouldn't put it past Nicholas to kill someone. Yeah, me either. I hope we find out more about mainland politics at some point in the next four books. Too. Yeah, I hope we go to the mainland. Yeah. I feel like we will. We still have quite a lot left to read. Okay, so if you think that we still have three queens at the end of this, does someone still get crowned? What happens to the other two? How do you imagine this playing out? I believe that they dissolve the monarchy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> haven't got there yet (laughs) we'll see should we keep reading and figure it out (laughs) yeah let's do that okay first i have to tell you a joke yes please do okay so i have a bear joke for you oh appropriate (laughs) what do you call bears with no ears uh i can't hear you what was did you say (laughs) i don't know (laughs) what bees It takes a while, but like once you visualize it. Oh man, I was like, what? (laughs) I love when it's like a play on words or spelling or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com or you can follow us along on Instagram and Facebook at mnktalkya. Let us know if you see Pierce Brown on his book tour. Oh my gosh, yes. Or what you thought of Dark Age or Anna Dressed in Blood. Or any of the other books we've talked about. <laughs> or the book we're reading. Either one or all of the above. We're not picky. And go take go take the Epic Reads Three Dark Crowns quiz and find out what your gift is. All right. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.